Hello, I'm Dan Wright and welcome to On The Grass, a series of conversations brought to you by the Player Development Project. This week we are joined by Graham Mills as we discuss putting individual development at the centre of our approach. So it became a two-way process. Um, it wasn't just this transactional process where we was telling the players how they were doing and what they needed to do, but they were almost telling us where they felt they were, where they needed to be and how we could help them get there. Graham, a UEFA A and Advanced Youth Award holder, is currently a lecturer in football coaching at Solent University. He holds a BA Honours degree in coach education and sports development from the University of Bath. In this chat, we talk through the process of setting targets, focusing on individuals through training and games, and empowering young players on their journey. Let's get started. If you're a PDP podcast listener, we have a special offer for you. Head over to playerdevelopmentproject.com forward slash podcast or click the link in the description of this episode and you will be able to access a 30-day free trial to playerdevelopmentproject.com. This is going to give you access to an enormous range of resources to support you in your coaching, as well as our online Slack community where you can connect with coaches all around the world, share ideas, upload sessions, ask questions of our team and be constantly engaged in coaching conversation. Head to playerdevelopmentproject.com slash podcast or click the link in the description of this episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of On The Grass. I'm really pleased today to be joined by Graham Mills and um, we're doing something exciting today because it's the first time I've physically recorded a podcast with the other person in the other room. So welcome to the show, Graham. Well, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So Graham, first challenge is 60 seconds. Tell me about yourself and kind of your coaching journey today. So... I went to university, went to Bath University and took a coach education uh, degree there. Uh, started coaching at around 18, so for about six years from that point I coached at numerous different levels, so from soccer tots to adults to girls, boys, yeah. diff- mixed abilities, um, you name it, I sort of coached across that f- for those six years. Um, and then after that I got a full-time role at college, so Brockenhurst College in Hampshire, uh, where I lectured alongside being the academy director. Um, we were fortunate to have a, an academy program there, which meant we had nine hours on the grass with the players, so it was quite unique at the time. But for me, uh, at my stage of development, was you know the best learning opportunity because I was in charge of a program. I was sort of making mistakes and, mm-hmm. and learning from that process. Um, we also had a bit of success during that time. Um, was five national finals in six years, so it was it, it was a really good um, sort of education for me as a coach. And then from that, Brockenhurst College was also the uh, education provider for AFC Bournemouth, so they were based on site at that time. Um, and through sort of the reputation I'd built there and the contacts and the relationships with the staff at AFC Bournemouth, a role opened up within the academy. Um, as the youth development phase lead and then I was there for uh, approximately eight years and it finished up at Bournemouth also overseeing the transition of players from the schoolboys to the professional development phase. Um, So I wore sort of a number of hats Mm -hmm. over that time period Uh, and just recently 2019 I left that role to take up a lecturing role at university so Solent University in Southampton. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's on a coaching degree there, um, some practical, some theory-based stuff. And alongside that, also working at Southampton Football Club in the academy with one of the age groups. Fantastic. Definitely longer than 60 seconds, yeah. but good effort. Um, so obviously there's loads of different places we could explore and go with this conversation because you've coached lots of different age groups and, and done loads of different things. One of the things I wanted to pin you down and talk about today was about developing individuals. Um, so there's, there's kind of lots of, of talk online or through coaching books or you know in that or even on courses about developing individuals. So you've got a lot of experience of doing this with different age groups and in different places and maybe you picked up different things. So I thought it was a, a good space to kind of yeah, jump in. So maybe talk about why this is important to you or the kind of the history of, of, of this approach or where it's come around for you. Yeah. So probably if I go back to when I first started coaching, um, I sort of viewed the team as the vehicle for for individuals so it was was all about making sure the team was right and if the team was performing well um, then individuals within that team framework would would develop as a consequence. Um, I sort of valued sort of technical tactical 
uh, information as being sort of that defined me as a good coach. If mm-hmm. I if I knew the answers to questions about techni- technical information or tactical sort of the declarative sort of information, um, that would define me as a good coach. Mm-hmm. And I see that in a lot of young coaches at university now. You know, the prioritisation is around technical and tactical stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I got deeper into coaching, uh, as I got challenged a little bit more, um, I started to realise that it wasn't necessarily about the team and my level of knowledge. It was more around making sure I developed relationship with players. So it was more the psychosocial um, aspects of coaching that became more important. And actually, rather than that macro level of coaching from the outside in, I almost needed to flip that on its head and coach from the inside out. Mm-hmm. So if I use a uh, analogy, so sticking with the vehicle, um, I was probably, when I first started off coaching, I was probably that person who lifted the bonnet and kicked the wheel and said, yeah, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then would be scratching my head if a few miles down the road it broke down. Um, so in difficult situations, um, I needed to be able to make sure that I'd, I knew the ins and outs of all those different components, each individual, how they responded to difficult situations, when it was stressful, how I could support them. And I believe that if I did that properly, then the team would, would flourish as a result. Mm. So it's, I saw, I think there's probably a lot of reasons for that change of um, attitude in my coaching. I probably started to view success less as a marker of me as a coach. Um, so win-loss ratios and, and results, it tended to become more about if I could see development in players. So if I could tangibly see that improvements were being made, regardless of the outcome, um, I felt that I was doing a good job as a coach. And this came around about when the youth awards were introduced. Okay, yeah. So that was a big influence on me. Um, and I just became more aware of the, the softer skills of coaching which I probably undervalued initially. Um, and that transition from an academy where I had sort of full reins over the coaching philosophy, playing philosophy, you, know, you name it, I could sort of devise the way that I believed it to be right. And then going into an academy where things may be a bit more prescribed and there's a way to doing things and it's more structured and aligned to what the first team might mm-hmm. might want. Um, I suppose you that autonomy over the technical and tactical if you don't have that you you almost retreat to the strength of the psychosocial corner mm-hmm. so if you haven't developed a good rapport with players if you haven't developed a good environment then when those difficult moments come up which they will you know and you haven't developed a good rapport and str- you know strength and relationships then i think problems occur and i i think i've i realized that quite early on okay so no matter how good my technical and tactical detail was and the information that I could give to the players, if I couldn't disseminate connect, it, yeah. connect and yeah. communicate those things, um, in those difficult moments, it, it, would, it would be a challenge. So as you were like transitioning through that, um, maybe it's all about X's and O's, winning's important, um, to maybe looking more at individuals, was there like a, a time where there was some tension or some confusion because maybe your coach education or the... Um, yeah, the, the way you believe success looked like when that started to flip around was that quite a confusing time or quite a, a time where you were uncertain about stuff to go from winning matches to developing individuals because some people would say you know they're completely opposite and some people would say you know it's kind of a symbiotic relationship yeah I think the I think you can still strive to win but the emphasis is switched from the outcome to more of the process okay. So trying to do the right things for the players in their development, for the age and stage of their, their development, um, that became sort of the primary focus of, of how I would assess how I was doing as a coach. So rather than on a Sunday um, sort of be despondent because we hadn't performed well or hadn't got a result, um, I would perhaps look a little bit deeper into the why and, you know, are there certain outcomes in training that we were working on this week? So if we were working on switching play, but we lost the game, but we switched the play really, really well um, and achieved different ways to switch play, mm-hmm. I sort of viewed that as more of a success. So you're redefining what success looks like, maybe as yeah. a team, as a unit, or even individuals. So you've got like 
a central defender that wasn't using their left foot and is now using their left foot, then that's as powerful as, as winning a, yeah. a teenage game of football. Yeah, I think it was probably... The youth award was, was big for, for me um, because it was introducing me to things that I'd maybe not considered, uh, looking at how young players learn, um, you know, the, the, the differences between foundation phase, youth development phase, um, the transitions of growth and maturation, those, those sorts of things, things that I hadn't considered. I was probably viewing coaching more from a traditional leadership point of view. Mm-hmm. Or so what you see on TV of like yeah, yeah. Conte or Klopp on the touchline. And I, go, I guess subconsciously I developed some sort of leadership like attribution bias where it wasn't so much about um, the players but it was, you know, I'd set them up, I'd coach them through the week um, and it was my input on the team. So I, I was, it was more of an ego thing I yeah. think. And like I say, when, when things are going well that's, that's good. But in difficult moments, um, I think you're only as good as that psychosocial environment that you've created. Mm-hmm. So the the psychological being sort of the intrapersonal stuff. So how confident they are, you know, what's their motivation levels. How can you develop those things and encourage those things? And then the social environment that you've created, the sort of the interpersonal relationships among the team. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're really good in those difficult moments, I think the team will perform okay. They might not win the game, but they'll cope and they might find solutions. Um, if you've not given due care and attention to those things, when when problems do arise, I think you're going to struggle. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it wasn't so much about me. Um, it was almost making them more autonomous, empowering them. I mean, accepting that, hey, these things are going to go wrong, we're going to make mistakes and we're not going to be defined on a result or a season. It's about our individual and collective aims, aspirations and goals and you know, can we make them, um, can we can we write them down, can we... Can Bring we, them to life. Yeah. yeah. So that, I guess there was a bit of an internal struggle for me personally because I was sort of changing from one view of coaching to another and I think learning's perpetually don't start and stop there's no mm-hmm. so I think it's just an, a gradual evolution and I've listened to a number of your podcasts and I would say there's a trend between coaches yeah. that have been working for a period of time where the ego yeah. shifts maybe yeah yeah so I guess that was that was the sort of process for me okay and so um, can we talk about how you might bring this to life so we've probably talked a lot about kind of the, the origins or the history of why you believe this to be true and, and the successes of it but if we were maybe starting from the start we've just got a new group of players or a new age group is coming you know kind of under your control or that's not even the right word control um how, how would you how would you implement this and how would you work with yeah how would you work with a team or a group of individuals to to get these kind of individual aims and targets together so i think the the first interaction with a group when you're when you're taking them for the first time is is really important um trying to create a, a connection with them initially. Um, I'd also say that I, I'm quite a big believer of sort of positive psychology and looking at a strengths-based approach. Mm-hmm. Again, looking back to how I used to coach, I was probably always, because I was the coach and I was sort of perfecting and refining the team, I would have maybe had a negative bias and I was looking at things that we could do better or could improve. That deficit detective and yeah. Yeah, there's always things you can fix because that keeps you in a job that yeah, way. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Lots of things to work on. So actually I needed to probably have a look at what they could do and use those strengths um, in a positive way and really emphasize them and turn them into signature strengths. Um, so I think the the initial interaction with the, with the players is making sure that you create a connection, a good environment, look at what they can do, think of the positives rather than be too quick to identify what they can't do or the negatives mm-hmm. um, so just just um, maybe walk us through what making a connection means so like I think most coaches would say they try and make connections with players or yeah. um, try and get to know them <clears throat> can you give us maybe some real life examples or yeah tricks of the trade of how you'd connect with, with individuals or different individuals I suppose because all the kids are different and yeah. you connect in different ways with them so yeah, I guess it's a bit of a cliche thing to say, you know, know your players or yeah. connect. But I think what I've 
done is produced a, a individual development plan for the players. So within that, it's almost like their their passport. I guess they give they they put in a lot of information. So obviously, there's a, a first interaction with the players, and then they receive an individual development plan. Within there, there's information about themselves. So um, who's their biggest motivation? So it might be a parent, it might be a teacher, it might be a role model player that they look up to. You know, things about their biggest setback to date, their biggest achievement. Um, things about their their own personal life so I can put that in context because they arrive to me as a player and I can't just view them as mm-hmm. you know a football player there's a lot more to that when I started at uh, my previous job at AFC Bournemouth I did some research into the amount of contact time we have with a player so looking at different sort of national surveys it worked out to be 8% of the, the, the child's life that we actually had them for as a, as a cat three yeah so how are we going to maximise the amount of time that we had them for? So it's no good me just viewing them as a as a football player. I need to view them in in a wider perspective than that. I needed mm-hmm. to be considerate and knowledgeable of other things going on in their life. So this document goes through a, a list of sort of background questions, not only uh, socially and about their their home life and their education, but also as football players, um, asking them to to compare themselves against their peers so in each of the the four corners you know where would they grade themselves alongside their peers and who would they say is is number one in those areas because i think they also need to understand that it is an elite environment in the academy and if they know what their competition is both immediate and future um, competition they can be more insightful about what they might need to do to make sure they thrive and that would link into their strength as well, right? Like if, if somebody's always going to be better than them, you know, if someone's always going to be quicker than them, they could turn their strength of finishing or you know, another attribute, perhaps yeah. even sharper, rather than maybe always concentrate on somebody being better. Yeah. That's something they can't get better at as well. Yeah. And then once, so we've kind of, we've, we've got this kind of passport, the kids have, have filled that in and you know, maybe you've had that conversation. What would be the next step in, in, in this process? So once they've, they've filled it in, it's then a process of... Uh, then presenting it to me, so I I've, I felt that the review process in academies is brilliant. It's probably one of the most um, sort of, uh, beneficial processes that an academy goes through of having that regular and often review of a player mm-hmm. to sort of track their progress. But I felt that in some cases we were handing them a piece of paper and it was a one-way process where there was a grade on there, there might be some ticks against certain attributes, there may be some crosses or some, some red lights against others. Quite transactional, Yeah. telling the player the answers. And, and depending on the player it can be perceived in many different ways, so it can be, oh, I'm doing fantastic, which you want to praise them when they're doing well, but you also want to make sure that they understand that, you know, there's a long way to go yet, mm-hmm. especially in the younger ages. Um, and you also don't want to be seen as being too critical where they see lots of X's or a grade that's below what they thought they were going to receive and then there's a demotivating effect. And then you obviously get some players who it's probably just get slipped in the drawer and they never look at it. So it needs to be a living piece of work that is constantly evolving and changing. And, and for them to realise that the journey is in their hands so we as coaches or a multidisciplinary team are facilitating this process. So they they would then present that uh, document to us, uh, be filmed, and in that room would be all of the multidisciplinary staff that work with, immediately with that player. Mm-hmm. So S&C, um, analysis, education, um, medical team, and also the player's parents. So they would present, and it was quite daunting for the players initially, you know, as a, yeah. as a 13, 14, 15 year old boy to be stood up in front of that many people and parents, it's quite tough, but the way we sold it to them is, you know, it, it is your journey and it's it's about you and we need to make sure that it's centred around you and you're driving it. And if you do get to the first team one day, you're going to have to talk in front of a camera. Um, so it's good preparation for the future. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they would present it back and they would also make sure that within there there would be some goals or targets they wanted to achieve and they would be broken down into you know, smart goals. Um, 
and they could apportion some accountability to the staff. So if you had a player that needed to work on their um, first touch, for example, or receiving skills, it might be that, Graham, you're my coach, I need you to put together some individual plans to help me so I can take away, I can use them as my homework. So if it came round to the next six week review and that information hadn't been done, I hadn't done that, then you know it fell on me. Yeah, some accountability of who's doing what. Yeah, so it became a two-way process. Um, it wasn't just this transactional process where we was telling the players how they were doing and what they needed to do, but they were almost telling us where they felt they were, mm-hmm. where they needed to be and how we could help them get there. So would you, were you getting teenagers coming to S&C or coming to coaches saying, you know, because obviously they presented it and I, I imagine they put a lot of effort into the presentation because yeah. it's quite daunting and it's a, a moment to present it, but maybe in the following days and weeks were you getting kids coming to you and saying, do you remember we talked about working on um, my change of direction or we talked my left foot, whatever that actually is, were you getting kids holding staff accountable or was there a period of time where it kind of looked good but wasn't perhaps um, you know, real life? Yeah, I think we, we got a mix. So we got some uh, players that would be quite proactive and would, would, would chase us up and say, you know, I need this, I need some clips my learning objective on, on Sunday I thought I did really well so I'd like some clips of evidence that to put into my mm-hmm. my review um, you'd have others that maybe needed to be get, be given a nudge because mm-hmm. um, they are you know that we, we don't want them to be coaches I think we need to be clear that we're not trying to develop coaches we're yeah. trying to develop football players but more enlightened players that know how to use the resources around them yeah so some, some maybe took a couple of review periods, maybe six, 12 weeks to actually realise that, you know, we, we, we are serious. This is, you need to drive this process. Yeah. And we're not going to chase you. And presumably they'd put the same target twice. You'd say, you know, why haven't you done anything about it? So if they said, I need to improve my left foot finishing, for example, in the first review and then six weeks later, I need to improve my left foot finishing, you'd go, hang on a minute, you know, what, what, what have we done about that? Yeah. So everything was everything that we I've tried to apply has been more sort of evidence based. So at AFC Bournemouth they were a centre of excellence when I first started there and obviously they have gone on a fantastic rise to where they are now. So the whole environment has changed quite significantly. So it's from an evidence based and then what we were trying to encourage the players is it you know, the things that you do needs to need to be evidenced. So if, if you're telling us that you're left foot finishing needs to improve can you give us some evidence to show that A either it has been improved or B there's still room for development or in some cases that you know no improvement has been made but there needs to be some evidence that they've actually tried to do it go, yeah. yeah you spoke earlier about the kids having targets and short term goals how many goals did they have um, and I know some people have opinions on learning outcomes, how many learning outcomes should they have one in each corner, should they have a technical tactical, so you know, there's loads of different ways you can spin that Yeah. how would you make a judgement about how many goals or learning objectives an individual should have? So I think we, it was, it was quite again it was quite individualised so we did a number of personality sort of inventories or psychological um, tests with the players just to gain an insight into some of the things that we can't see um, so some some players would feel that they had quite a, a strong sort of cognitive load. They could take on quite a lot of information, and through interacting with the players, you could sort of work out. You didn't necessarily need the results of any tests, but you could work out which players maybe could take on board two or three goals, mm-hmm. and which players maybe just needed to focus on one and focus on that process. And then if that was achieved, you might introduce another one. So it's quite individualised, but I would say that we only ever really gave out three at any one time as a maximum. What age group are we talking about here? So this was in so youth development phase. Um, so at, at 12s, probably only looking at two maximum, probably a, a strength and an area for development. Mm-hmm. So try and get them to spend 50% of their individual time or their practice time on uh, producing a signature strength, something that would define them or set them apart from everyone else and then also something that was uh, role critical to them nice, yeah. so not just you're not very good on your left foot but 
if if that's really important to your position or the role that you've got within the team, let's make sure that's an area for development. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then it would would build from there. So then in sort of thirteens upwards would be two signature strengths and an area for development, or two areas for development and signature strength, depending on the player and depending on what they could take. If it was just one, it might just be an area for development they need to improve on. Give me an, an example of like a signature strength. So, so it doesn't have to be a real person, but give me an example of a player, his age, his position, maybe his, his signature strength and a, and a development area. So if, if people are trying to implement this, yeah. um, I'll give you a bit more of a framework, maybe like a 13-year-old uh, central midfielder. What, yeah. what might that look like for, for a player of that age and stage? So they may so their their range and variation of passing for example as a centre midfield player that might be very good so they might be able to to break lines to penetrate with their passing mm -hmm. to switch play over different distances so short medium long uh, driven lofted and that might be for their position that might be the real the thing that's going to get them over the line or get them a scholarship or a professional contract so having identified that that might be their key strength or the signature strength it's then making sure that we put on not only individual practices for them to develop and refine that but also when we're planning team practices is making sure that that player gets opportunity to do it within team practice as well so the idea is hopefully with with enough um, opportunities to practice that signature strength that can become a standout attribute for that player. Okay, we we've had um, a bit of content in the past from Stuart English at Brentford, yeah. and he talked about when we recruit players or players come into the system, we've got to remember why we recruited them. So every player should have an outstanding attribute. He would call it or a super strength or a signature strength or whatever we call it. And I think that's a really good message. Whether you're working high performance or you're working um, grassroots under sevens, there's yeah. a reason that that player is playing football, or there's a reason that player is already getting success. And that maybe ties into what you said earlier around uh, being more strength focused or individual focused rather than you know what can't they do. Yeah. Um, and that's a nice way to start with these development plans, isn't it? If you've already got a really good dribbler, you wouldn't necessarily say get better at passing and receiving. Yeah. Um, I think from research, it's I think if you focus on the strengths, it tends to have a positive impact on motivation, um, achievement, sort of enjoyment because that's where they started playing like yeah. they, there's a reason that they fell in love with the game and it's probably what they practiced the most or what they were getting success at the most yeah um, so I've got kind of two more threads to pull up because okay. you mentioned a few things a couple of times so um, earlier on you talked about parents talk to me about how important parents are and if you involve them in this process you talked about them sitting in the presentation but um, my personal bias would be that parents are critical in this yeah. kind of stuff so how would you or could you involve parents in this kind of individual focus? So I think uh, certainly at the, the lower end of the YDP, um, they're, they're still at an age where, you know, adult, so they're still looking for adult approval. Um, they're not yet entering those sort of teenage years where they're looking for peer validation. Mm -hmm. So certainly at the younger age groups, um, the, the parents are critical. And, it, and whatever age someone is, probably the most important person in their life is is their, their parents um, so involving them is is crucial to this development program so if if they're not on board if they're not part part of it if they're not made to feel part of it then we're not going to get maximum buy-in from the player mm -hmm. so the first interaction with the group uh, something that we've tried recently is we would go to the players house mm -hmm. and meet the, the parents so the the player wouldn't necessarily be uh, present in these meetings, but it was just an opportunity to 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 go to them. You know, they're forever bringing their their son to to the club, spending hours on the road. So going to them, um, spending time in in their environment, enabled us to understand the context that that player's from, mm -hmm. um, what their support mechanisms are like, what their what the, how they behave at school so it's just conversations we, we very rarely talked about football it was about the player the individual um, the person first and foremost and that was that was really important I think that that really got uh, the parents on board with the process 
and everything was shared with them. So when we when we introduced this development plan, um, you know, it was sent to them, and we, we we showed it to them and said this is why we're we're doing it. So everything was backed up with a why. So this is the rationale. This is why we're asking your son to do this because it looks like a lot of work. You know, it's it's a number of slides that they're being asked to fill in, but hopefully the the bigger picture and the end product. Um, the, the work that you put in first and foremost will, will show that it's it can be really useful. And that transparency is important as well, isn't it? I think sometimes not just in high performance, but in in all kind of football, there's there's kind of what's what's going on here. What's the coach doing? What's you know what's all this kind of secrecy? Where if, if if you can share the the process, the individual plan, maybe how you're going to challenge them. They've asked me to do this, and this is why I'm doing that. I think that just helps because, like you said, the parents are the most important and they're certainly going to be around the player a lot more than we are so yeah. if there is conflict or friction there and kids can get very confused having different messages can't they if the yeah. coach is saying I want you to take risks in 1v1s for example and then his dad's saying you know why do you keep losing the ball you, you're never going to get a happy performer that way yeah I think if you manage that relationship well the parents can almost be an extension of, of the club or the academy whatever environment you're working on working in um so I think if, if managed well, that can be a real tool uh, that can be utilised really effectively. Because like I say, they've, they've got the biggest impact, especially going back to that 8% yeah. of the child's life is spent with us. 92% they're away. So whether that's a, a teacher or a parent or you know, someone significant, if you can create a, a relationship there, it's, you know, it's another tool that you can, can use. Yeah, for sure. And then the other thing you've mentioned a couple of times is individual practice so if we're if we're trying to give practical advice to coaches which is the point of these shows we've kind of we've met the individual we might have met the parents we've come up with um, maybe the reasons they play football the motivators their stress you know all that kind of stuff then we've maybe discussed some short-term targets that um, they might have set or we've set how, how would that work so having having produced this development plan that they're going to lead on then they're required to plan some individual practice time so there's certain amount of time in the week that's sort of ring fence for individual development um, so they're asked to produce a, a session plan for for these sessions um, so there, there's times where they're asked to do it at home so bring something in with you to our next individual session or there's time at the club where they, they sit together and they might go into little groups so if there's a player that's working on their 1v1 attacking and one's working on their 1v1 defending they might work in opposition so the attacking player would plan what they want to do in opposition to what the defending player might do they might contribute or um, complement each other so if two players are working on their finishing then they might design a little finishing circuit that they're going to work on so they plan these on a on a weekly basis. The session plans are handed in and then tr transferred into uh, like an online uh, drill diagram. Yeah, like a template. Yeah. yeah, and that's then placed into uh, individuals' uh, training booklet. Mm -hmm. So it's a they're building this bank of session plans over the course of the season. So a player would get to see everybody's sessions not just their sessions yeah so uh, there would be an individual file for for a player who's designed these practices yeah but then that file is also put into a booklet so at the end of the year you'll have a, a catalogue of sessions nice. so over the summer if they've got six eight weeks off they can have a look have a flick through this booklet they might want to work on something specific and there's a player in the team that has designed a practice so they can use and, and tweak and adapt it. Um, so it's just giving them a, some more resources and more ideas. I've got two questions I think people will be asking if they were talking about players leading sessions. The first one might be, I've only got 90 minutes with my session, yeah. 90 minutes a week with my players. Should I give up 30 minutes of that time? Uh, should I ever do that? Should I do it periodically? And then I suppose a kind of sub-question is, I imagine there's times where this looks like a car crash, where <laughs> kids are planning sessions and you think nobody's getting anything out of that. So yeah. kind of two questions there. Would, would, is this possible in, in a, an environment where you've got less contact time? And how much do we let the kids work it out? And how much do we kind of guide them without it turning into a coaching session where actually it's not player-led, it's 
looks like the players are leading, but I've designed the practice because I'm the coach. Yeah. So I think with anything it, in coaching, it's quite a long-term process. So initially, it might look a little bit disjointed or a bit messy. Uh, they they're not going to know how to design a session. You know, when if I go back to when I started coaching at 18, it, uh, <laughs> my <laughs> sessions probably look like this. So it's it's a long-term process, and you need the the players. You need to give them some freedom and some ownership, and accept that it's not going to be perfect straight away. Um, we've just got a dog for example and we're trying to train her to, to walk to heel now you can put her on a tight lead and she's never going to stray from your heel she might try to but because the lead's short she's never going to get away what you actually need to do is put her on a long lead allow her to make mistakes go and have a little sniff around in the bushes and, <laughs> and all of that and but it, it takes is, longer to do that exactly it's frustrating you know you can look silly when you're shouting at her and there's people around and stuff but that's learning you need to give people the freedom to be able to, to make mistakes, to stray off the path, to, Work out. to get it wrong. Yeah. And that process is going to make them um, learn far quicker than it would be to box them in and refine Tell them to, them. Yeah. right, here's a session, you've planned it, but I'm just going to do this, this and this and make it a little bit better for you and off you go. And I think when the kids are delivering these sessions, if it's not a great session, you can ask them like, what is the intention like if they're working yeah. on a, a certain aspect and you don't feel like that aspect's coming out then you can ask them like how many repetitions or how often or does it look like this and again yeah. I think it starts all those conversations off and the kids the penny starts to drop of I'm not actually really practicing my development area I'm practicing something I'm really good at yeah um, and so yeah the, the kind of spin-off question of maybe in a grassroots environment where people are training once a week or twice a week would you still dedicate time to working on individual areas um, if so, how often? And you know, because that's quite a brave thing to do. I think as a as a volunteer coach yeah. or a grassroots coach, maybe you're at an Astro with eight other teams, and you're going to sit back and let the, the kids plan the first thirty minutes. I haven't seen a great deal of that no. in grassroots football. Um, would you still kind of go through that suffering, or would you? Is there a way to guide them slightly differently, or how much time would you give up to that? Yeah, I think the the approach would be slightly different. I think if you're if you're fortunate enough to see your players several times over the course of the week, then you can apportion a percentage of that time to individual development. If you're only seeing them for an hour and a half, an hour, um, then that long term process of them learning how to plan an individual practice is going to take a significant amount of time um, and time that you don't necessarily have. So I guess it's just try. It might be that you your session planning might be around sort of bullseye a couple of individuals within practice, and for that session that week, we're going to try and work on these three players' strengths within the, the small sided game or the possession practice that we're working on. That's a great segue to the next part. So we've kind of we've done the plan. We've met the kids. We've met the parents. We've agreed goals, whether that's coach set, player set, or we've married up somewhere in the middle. We're protecting time for individual practice, so maybe they're, they're designing their own practices and player-led sessions. How do we then um, use these individual focuses on a team practice, on a team session, and then how does that bleed into games and, and game day? So they've got so their individual practice working, you know, in isolation or in small groups would then transfer into the, the team practice. So their learning objectives would all be, be written down and the, all the coaching staff, the multidisciplinary team would be aware of what they're working on. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to planning a session, you're looking at how you can give them exposure to practicing or giving them enough repetitions on that, that area there. So we, so we go back to our made up person if he, if, his, if he was a centre midfielder and he was passing and receiving and the theme of the session was uh, forward passing to break lines and that would be a good week to focus on this example kid is that is that yeah. kind of how you'd say it? yeah and I think the the learning objectives can probably fit in with it with any topic because if there's a if it the, the session has a defending emphasis there's obviously going to be some form of attacking to that practice so I think you can it doesn't necessarily have to be the topic that that is specific for that player I think if you're clever in your game you're practices are, are designed well you should be able to get most of their individual learning objectives out not necessarily one session because that you know tough, that's yeah. going to be really tough but over the course of a week or two weeks you should be able to apportion time 
to, to each player to try and get them to work on can we bring that isolated repetition individual practice that you've been working on in your individual time can we bring that to life with some contextual variability or opposition or direction or whatever it might be mm -hmm. um, and it is it, you know it's it's not easy but it all comes down to the planning if, if you spend enough time on the planning um, as a team on how you can get the players to work on what they need to work on I think it is achievable um, but like I said going back to when I first started coaching it was probably something that I didn't even sort of consider mm -hmm. it was I wanted them in a in a framework I wanted it to be this is the patterns that we're going to play, play yeah. yeah this is the this is the the style that I want to implement on the game and I didn't really consider the the individuals enough and now there would be top priority or second priority where would that if you were if you were uh, planning a session so I've done a Q&A on what are the things that you consider when planning a session yeah. and I thought oh I wish I'd never even begin to answer that question because there's about 400 different things like space and time yeah. and uh, which individuals and the loads so I would probably put in my bias on the question I would probably put individuals amongst the top like yeah. when, when, if the session was tonight and we've got eight players I would look at which eight we've got and that would kind of drive what type of session would look like what type of space so that as many of those individuals are being kind of um, ticked off as possible. Is that something that resonates with you? Yeah, I think I, I would certainly, if I wasn't starting with the individuals, it would certainly rank among one of the highest uh, priorities when I plan a session. Um, there's certain things that I want to make sure that I get into a session. So direction, opposition, some form of end product, whether that be goals or end zones. Mm -hmm. um, and also some form of transition. Okay. So if those four things are ticked off, I think the next thing is, is making sure that the individuals are catered for. And then that links into kind of what you were saying before, if the practices are representative and look like the game and have those moments of the game or you know, different people call them different things, then you should be able to hit quite a lot of targets because we should be defending and tackling and turnovers yeah. and dribbling and shooting. And, and so without putting you on the spot, uh, how how would you kind of marry up uh, a curriculum with this individual approach? So you can work in environments um, or you can download online a, a body of work for 40 weeks and this is what we're doing and it's all kind of mapped out. And then there can be times where the curriculum says um, defending from the front mm -hmm. and you haven't got the players to do it, you've got something else. Or we're already very good at the topic and then maybe the topic is something we're already nailing on game day and we'd rather be reactive and say this is this is the stuff that we need to do so there isn't a quick answer to this but how, how would you marry up kind of individual needs what the player needs what the team needs what yeah. maybe the club guides as a style of play how do you marry all that stuff up I think that's it's a tough um, question because I think if you're being if you're really truly being individual centred or, or focused on individual development then it sort of goes against the curriculum. I think what you're trying to do is trying to find uh, a curriculum that provides a framework, but there's enough freedom within that framework for individuals to thrive and to have some differentiation. Mm -hmm. So the, sorry, the the answer to your question is, I yes, I, know. Yeah, <laughs> I um I produced a a curriculum that was based on a spiral curriculum. Okay. So Jerome Bruner, who was a cognitive psychologist, um, I think back in the 60s, there's a, there's a spiral curriculum that he developed. So rather than uh, like boxed off, sort of blocked or massed topics mm -hmm. that are sort of compartmentalized, there's distributed or spaced um, topics over the course of a year or a season which are repeated at regular intervals mm -hmm. so like going back to the point about it being um, there's no start point or no end point to learning it's about having some key concepts that you deliver whether it be year on year or half season um, and those concepts are added in depth and complexity as they're repeated so they might start off at quite simple uh, principles are under nines for example so give, it, give us a practical example of, uh, with, with passing dribbling or shooting yeah. or give, give us an example of how that might build, build up from 
nines to maybe whatever 16s or 18s. Okay. So if I use uh, like an applied example of when I started at Bournemouth, I did like a thematic analysis of the philosophy, so our playing style, and the things that popped out the most were became the topics of what we would then work through because if that's what the club wants from the players and that's where they need to be proficient in order to, to progress up yeah. the pathway then those topics were really important so then I put those into uh, a curriculum so for example playing out from the back so at under nines playing out from the back might look very individualised so it's probably about stepping out with the ball and receiving skills short passing yeah, yeah. So next time they revisit that, whether that's again in the, the under-9s year or next year in the under-10s, um, that might look a little bit different. So you've got the the basic level of stepping out and short passing, but now we might be able to add some 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 medium-range passing for some of the players and uh, passing with the skies. Mm-hmm. There might be some, some stuff in there that just adds a little bit more complexity or difficulty. Or bodies, maybe. Yeah. yeah, just another, another layer. Mm-hmm. Then as they go through that process, they're regularly revisiting this this topic. But the the challenge or the complexity or the depth that we're going into is just ramped up a little bit. Okay. So I think in, in learning that consistency is really important. So I've worked with some um, curriculums where they are quite isolated in terms of a topic so one week you might be doing this and then next week you're doing something completely different and then the next week yeah. you're doing something else which doesn't really link so the way that I sort of tried to work around that is not only have these key themes that were driven by the philosophy but also try and arrange them in the four moments of the game so as an example you would do six weeks in possession and then two weeks of transition which would then be followed of six weeks out of possession and two weeks of transition Mm-hmm. So it, as an example, it'd be so like building and playing out from the back for the first two weeks. It might be then progressing and penetrating possession in the next two weeks, and then the last weeks of that uh, in possession block would be creating and finishing. Mm-hmm. So it works through the pitch in a logical sort of sequential, so they can see how it fits in the yeah, game. It joins up, yeah. Then that week, two weeks of transition might be counter pressing. So let's say we've played out from the back, we've progressed, we're now working on finishing, but we've lost possession. So it's gone into the goalkeeper's hands or we've given away the ball and now we're working on counter-pressing. Then after those two weeks of transition, then you're going maybe defending from the front, defending through midfield, and then finally defending in and around the penalty area. So again, we're working from front to back now in sort of a logical sequence. And then we go on to maybe counter-attacking, so we're, we're defending around our penalty area, we've won the ball, and now we're looking to counter as quickly as possible. And like you said, that would look very different for under-10s to under fifteen. Yeah, so, so the content of all of that... Counter-pressing look, probably doesn't exist for under-10s. No. Yeah. So it may look very different for, for each age group and their age and stage of development, but it's sort of consistent themes that are brought up um, and repeated at regular intervals. So rather than... Um, it being difficult to forge connections. A bit sporadic and yeah. disjointed. I think the re- retention of information is, is more longer term and hopefully what's achieved is more of a deeper understanding of what, what they're required to do. Um, so that's the way I've done it, but I think you can also individualise that even further. So if a player is striving in their age group, they can accelerate through the, the layers of... Uh, information yeah so if let's use that example of the under nine who gets maybe an yeah or maybe an earlier maturer than some of his peers and has got the ability to play over a longer range maybe a medium range pass they can start to accelerate through those stages nice example, yeah and similarly if if they're struggling you know under 14s most players go through their their growth spurt so may become a little bit um uncoordinated or that sort of adolescent awkwardness they can just recede a layer or, or stay on a layer rather than progressing on so it could, the, the acceleration or speed that players are working through this layered approach this spiral curriculum can be tailored to the individual yeah I took you off piece there I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> didn't plan for that it was a great answer 
Um, just to bring it back to kind of the topic a little bit. So yeah. we've done the kind of the weekly session, which might be individual practice, might be team training, might be a mixture of the two. And then players are playing in games. And so it's now um, against an opposition. We don't know what's going to go on completely random. How do we keep that individual focus maybe on game day um, before and during? And then also once it's finished, how do we measure success or reflect that uh, Billy got loads of chance at working on what he needed to work on? Um, yeah, bring bring that to life for people. So, bringing that into a game day would be around making sure that they're clear on their learning objectives in preparation for the game. Um, the how they're going to achieve them. So, what does success look like? So, you know, they might be a bit like I was when I first started coaching. It might be about the result, and that might be what motivates them. Mm-hmm. But understanding that we're working on this learning objective today for you and setting them targets. So giving them a challenge or... And moving from that, um, because I've seen you do this with teenagers, moving from that outcome to process focus. So result is outcome, scoring goals is outcome, whereas a process might be um, always being positive to take a shot rather than counting the number of goals I've scored. Yeah. That can be quite a difficult space for teenagers to kind of work through because especially if they've got loads of success before and that's how they measure the game. Um, yeah, that can be tricky for them kind of to, to move yeah. to, from outcome to process. And I think they need to have that understanding of uh, like they're there to achieve their own learning objectives and their own aims and aspirations, but they also need the team to support them in that as well. So that collaboration piece around, yeah, we're gonna you know we're gonna look at how many successful forward passes you complete today, um, and how that links in with the other team members as well. Mm-hmm. So how do they need to support the teammates to ensure that they get enough opportunity to, to try those passes? What type of runs do they need from their teammates? So understanding how their individual needs fit within the bigger join up, yeah. Yeah, the bigger picture is, is important, especially on a game day where, you know, it is it's probably their highlight of the week. You know, it's the thing that they look forward to. But for us as coaches, it's easy to say for us, but it's an extension of the training programme. But for them, it's not. It's it means something. Mm-hmm. For parents, it's their opportunity to go and watch their player play or their son yeah. play on the weekend. Work um, it on, and it's yeah. yeah so watch it, it's different. It is it is a tough sell initially, but again, it's emphasising the fact that if they get to 18s, if they get to 23s, if they get to the first team, then we're not selecting a team. We're selecting individuals. Um, so their career is not going to be defined on whether they lose three nil against the. An opponent, yeah, under twelves, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be defined on. Do they meet the the characteristics, the the profile that the club's looking for, and if that learning objective is one that they need to work on to ensure that they have a future at the club and they progress through the pathway, mm-hmm. then you know, hopefully, that's an easier sell for us as coaches. But yeah, it's it does meet challenges, but I think that's probably the way we would look around it. And then obviously, post match would be around some analysis so individual clips and reviewing those and giving feedback um, feedback linked to the the targets as well not just yeah. we won and you were good we yeah. lost and you were rubbish yeah, yeah. and um, you, you kind of touched on it but just again let's let's pull it out a little bit when kids have all got different strengths and weaknesses and different aims and learnings going on do you often find this kind of conflict with maybe I'm doing my job and you're not doing your job or I can't do my job because you're not doing your job so I can't get success or learn because you're having a shocker or if you just use your right foot rather than trying to develop your left I'll get more of the ball. Yeah. Um, how do you navigate that space? Yeah, again, that's uh, like, that can be a tough one because everyone's, um, everyone's uh, different in their approach so some people might really enjoy the the individual aspect of the game so a striker for example might thrive on scoring goals mm-hmm. and getting opportunities and and view the game from that perspective so even if the team play really really well but they didn't score they might view that as that was a, a poor performance similarly there's teams that are motivated by contributing to uh, something that's bigger than themselves mm-hmm. so a team performance um, so it's it's trying to manage the, the their individual outlook and making sure that they understand if they are very egocentric and it's it's about them and they they measure themselves on what they've whether they've scored a goal. It's getting them to understand that well they they can't get in those positions or they can't finish those 
opportunities without the supply of their teammates and understanding mm. that they need them as much as children yeah. yeah so it's and that's hard with a teenager because yeah. they're probably not used to thinking yeah. outside of their little tiny circle I think it I think it's harder at the probably the lower end of the YDP because they're probably still in that depending on their age and stage of sort of their emotional development and psychological development they might still see the world from you know their own perspective and they might not have a lot of empathy and they might not be able to consider others and I think as they start working through sort of the teenagers, I think they start to realise that you know they're, they're, they become a bit more driven by their goals and when they see that there's an opportunity to become a scholar or, or beyond that I think they understand that they need others it's not you know, it's not a one-man show and they can't do everything themselves so they need the support of others that includes the staff as well to support them through the process and I think the skill of the coach is important then because if you are talking about or praising or constantly referencing these individual uh, aims objectives goals whatever people want to talk them then kids will start to understand that the coach is consistent with that behavior mm -hmm. whereas if we go we're all about individuals and I want you to take risk and I want you to take challenge and now oh, we've lost two now because you're trying to play out from the back and use your left foot <laughs> That's when kids get a bit confused. If you're asking me to do that, but then yeah. on game day you're acting completely different. So then they're not stupid. They'll yeah. adapt their behaviour or approach on the game yeah. day to to what they would on a on a training day. I think it's just ensuring that you're authentic. So if you are asking them to do something, you 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 stick by that even in difficult moments. You you know it's that unconditional positive regard. If they make a mistake, stick with it. Yeah, we know where we're. You know, we've had this conversation. We know that this is the longer term goal that we're working towards and and the why of why we're asking exactly to. yeah it's a nice uh, circle of a conversation because when you were early Graham and then that <laughs> cost you a goal and you didn't win the game then yeah. you probably wouldn't have been as empathetic to no to that individual yeah. having a go I think I was probably I think everything in coaching is, is about balance I think if you're too far you know, if if you're too far towards the outcome, you know, the win, the goal orientated end of the spectrum, then you're probably going to miss a lot of individual development. Similarly, if you, if you're if it's just about individuals in a team sport, then obviously, you know, the, the, you need the the framework of a team to to strive and and thrive as well. Mm. So I think it's just making sure that 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 slider just positions itself at a place which is not only comfortable for you as a coach, but also first and foremost is is going to get the best out of the players and, and, and you might them. move that slider throughout your I yeah. don't want to go off another 20 no, minutes no, no, no. but you might move <laughs> that slider on different weeks you might every six weeks go yeah. it's all about the team winning today and we're going to do whatever we need to do to win within the rules of the game and then other weeks that slider might be much lower and it's about, yeah. about individuals um, conscious of your time um, so we're going to jump into the question cube and because we are physically in the same <laughs> space you can draw the questions out so it's fine okay. Five questions, yep. um, and you can also confirm to people listening that I haven't given you easy ones. It's, no. all, it's all blank, and you've got to go for it. And the question cube does exist. It does exist. It's real. <laughs> so it's a tangible thing. Right, let's get in there. There we go. Oh, what piece of equipment do you use regularly, and why? Yeah, and I've put in brackets flat markers because I I'm obsessed with flat markers, as you know. You do, yeah. Um, I think. I'm also a fan of a flat marker, <laughs> as you know, um, mainly for giving reference points to players. So it might be that you you channel off the pitch or use zones or if it's a square pitch, it might be to split it into four quadrants. So if we're working on some sort of positional play or understanding of balance, yeah. Um, then there's some, some reference points there. Similarly, if it's a defensive topic, it might be that they need to cover two out of the three lanes or whatever it might be. So yeah. I, I am partial to a flat marker and the, the benefit of using them as a, as a visual aid is, is really useful. I think probably the second thing for me would be probably uh, passing goals. I was going to say, if I was answering on your behalf, I would have said a target. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think they're they're useful. Like I said earlier, is uh, there's there's four things that I try to ensure, and they're not always possible to get all four in, but I try and plan a practice with four things in mind, which is opposition, direction, um, uh, transition, and an end product. I thought you were going to forget all four. <laughs> <laughs> and an end product, which for me is often uh, a passing goal. And it's just 
again links back to player motivation and also why kids play the game so even if they might not want to defend they definitely want to smash it in the goal when they do defend so yeah. it's just uh, just motivation Go on. question number two then okay that was quite an easy one that too yeah you have to read my scroll of my handwriting if you had one hour a week with your players what would your session look like now that is tougher so that's a real that's a real life question, right? So there's, there's yeah. dads and volunteers and, yeah. and mums who have sixty minutes with their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what would you what would your session look like? I think going back to those four things, it would probably be involved them. So it'd be some form of uh, directional possession practice or a, a small sided game, um, and I would ensure that the maximum number of players can be involved rather than you know if, if you've got you know 20 players at a training session it's can you do two pitches mm-hmm. can you involve as many players as possible rather than some players being spectators or not actively involved um, so I, I guess it would be something around a sort of a small sided game a conditioned yeah constraints led approach where they're maybe being challenged around a topic um, one hour is yeah tough yeah so I'd prioritise the game because that's essentially what, what we're working towards and if if it's a grassroots team it's probably why they're there you know the first question will be can we play a game yeah and the answer should always be yes <laughs> uh, question number three right which book would you recommend as a must read for coaches um I'd imagine you've got a few books in the locker. I think you've yeah, I got a little yeah. library. Yeah, I've I've heard Legacy mentioned a few times. Have you? Yeah, okay. Which is still not getting still not getting no, the commission for that. that. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a book called uh, How Bad Do You Want It by Matt Fitzgerald. Okay, I haven't read that one. No, it's a it, it is a very good book. Um, it's about mental strength in. It's usually endurance sports, okay. so the the benefit of of mental strength in difficult moments um, when all your body's telling you to do is give up and so marathon running or yeah I think there's strong men and stuff like that rowing is in there okay. um, but it's it's a, it's a really good book uh, which I took a lot from um, and that would probably be one that I would I would recommend there's probably lots of other ones but off the top of my head that's one that I, I remember reading it was one of those that yeah. I probably got, got through it in a couple of days it was, okay. it was a brilliant book I'll have to Get on Amazon. Number four. Describe your favourite small-sided game. Hmm. Toughy. It's tough. And I'll, whenever I read that question, it should say, "What is the play the player's favourite small-sided game?" <laughs> yeah. Uh, my favourite small-sided game would be probably uh, sort of a three v three type. Uh, small, tight, quite intense. Uh, lots of shooting opportunities, lots of blocking. You know, it's the type of practice that I really enjoyed playing in when when I played, um, but also one that I think the the, the players really enjoy. Mm-hmm. So it might be you know, quick, short, sharp games of a minute, two minutes, or first team to score, or first team to score two goals. Maybe um, with a consequence as well, where you know if you win, you stay on, and there's a waiting team. Yeah, that seems to work quite well. Yeah. And I like it when you've got maybe a couple of teams that are resting because that work to rest ratio in that type of game is really important. Um, but the ball stays live, so the ball never goes out of play because you've got these players on the on the outside of the pitch that are keeping it alive with either one or two touch. Um, that is probably one that I really enjoy delivering because it is you know it's action packed and there's loads of outcomes and seems to be one that the players really enjoy. Good answer. Final question. You've you've got off all right here. Yeah, I know. I've dodged a bullet, haven't I? Let's have a look. What are the things you look at when working with a player for the first time? That is a bit tougher. Hmm. So, I think probably going back to the the strengths-based approach would be. I'm trying to identify, you know, the what makes them them. So, Mm -hmm. what strengths do they possess? If it's an academy environment, it's. what is that that signature strength that's gotten through the door, and that we can we can try and make better than anyone else? Mm-hmm. Um, it might be their 
it might be a psychological thing. It might be that their 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 drive or their competitiveness is 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 really high. It might be a technical thing. Um, but generally speaking, working with a player for the first time, I'm trying to see what makes them unique. What what is the strength that they've got? That's a good answer. Uh, yeah, I think, I think mine would be similar, and I might have added like their enthusiasm or their personality or like yeah not compliant to coaching but like what are they like do they like it when it gets tough do they like a challenge yeah. like that kind of stuff you can work that out quite early on I think that's interesting as well. yeah I think uh, I've also maybe um, fallen foul of that one in the past because first impressions you can body language is a dangerous thing to read mm-hmm. um, and, and kids can do sales as well they can be yeah Ask, answer all the questions and really enthusiastic and eager and then that disappears after four yeah. sessions and you go ah and you know they might have had a tough day at school it might there's so many things that uh, their enthusiasm and coachability is something that probably I need to understand them over a longer term period uh, because I, I've probably made the mistake that a lot of people have done before and the player comes in and you're like not sure he fancies it. Not sure he wants to be here, or I'm not sure he's that easy to coach. Or he doesn't get it. But you haven't built the connection. Go yeah. back to the conversation. You exactly. Built the so yeah, yeah, he hasn't shown you that. Um, so just yeah, that, that's the question keep done. So you, you got through that fairly fairly easily. No stumbles. Yeah. You got all the questions. Um, so two more things to discuss before we wrap up. What's kind of the the main area of focus for you over the next twelve months? Anything you're deliberately focusing on, or, or really trying to get better at in the next? season or the yeah so the the individual development plan that I, I mentioned that sort of evolved into uh, a research project so I met uh, Jenny Moon at Bournemouth University when I was working at Bournemouth um, who has developed a model around reflection and you know is a is someone that's highly regarded in that in that sort of sphere of reflective practice mm-hmm. So that sort of started conversations and it sort of led to a a research project that I'm doing, but with coaches and the multidisciplinary team. So we we want players to be reflective and sort of take the journey in their hands, as as I said, but how do we as staff sort of filter that down and how does that permeate into into them? Mm -hmm. So I'm doing some research around coaches' understanding of reflection because it's such a complex thing. Everyone reflects differently. There's there's different methods to do it. There's different preferences. And it's become a bit of a buzz yeah. phrase as well, isn't it? Like putting a box on the bottom of your session plan. Yeah. Probably isn't enough. Yeah. So I've uh, it's it's been an interesting um, process of sort of trying to to dig into that as a concept and and what it really means and I'm probably no closer to understanding it. But yet. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> But it's a fascinating um, area to, to look into. Uh, so that's th- my time at the moment is concerned with collecting data for that and hopefully um, see what comes of that and may lead to, to sort of publishing something. I don't know, but... That's and a second conversation, maybe? Possibly, yeah, possibly. <laughs> okay, uh, and then final bit to wrap up. Where can people get hold of you? So if they've listened to the conversation and they thought, I really want to pick your brains about that or got a great example around you know when you spoke about this mm-hmm. where's best to get in touch with you uh, probably Twitter is the, is the easiest way to contact me mm-hmm. um, which is g underscore mills 84 mm-hmm. um, yeah that, that would be the best way to, to get hold of me fantastic so just want to say thank you very much for your time so I really enjoyed the conversation oh, it's been a pleasure thanks for having me thanks for listening to On The Grass Don't forget, make the most of our exclusive 30-day free PDP membership. Head to playerdevelopmentproject.com forward slash podcast or click the link in the description of this episode.